Good morning, everyone. Wow, you seem to be all the way around today. Yeah, it's good to see you. You know, um, I wonder what the best news is that you've ever had. If you think back, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, I don't know, I don't know how many driving tests you took, but someone I know well took seven. So on that seventh time, when they got to the end and they sat there and the examiner said, you've passed, oh boy, was that good news especially to the person who was paying for that to happen. Maybe you've been waiting for for a child and suddenly find out you're pregnant or your partner's pregnant. Good news. Or maybe, I don't know if this happens to you, do you ever have a dream and it's really not a good dream? And something, you know, there's there's a zombie apocalypse or something happens and, and you wake up in the morning and for the first few seconds it feels real. And then suddenly it dawns, it was only a dream. Oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, the no zombie apocalypse, hallelujah. Good news, you know, it's exciting, isn't it? We get uplifted when we have good news, but we live in a world that is really short on good news a lot of the time. And about sort of 700 years before Christ, there was a man living in Israel whose name was Isaiah, and he was a prophet, which meant that he had the ability or the insight into what, was, what God was thinking. And the way God communicated with man back then was he, he spoke to the prophets and the prophets wrote down this message and declared it to God's people. He was kind of the channel of communication between God and the people of Israel. And the nation of Israel were promised a lot of things. Back in the early days, Abraham was promised that through his offspring, the whole world would be blessed. Many years later, one of the first kings, King David, was promised hope and salvation for the whole world, not just Israel, would come through his own family line. But when Isaiah was around, people had turned away from God. Instead of heading for lives of peace and blessing, they're under serious threat. Peace and security and blessing were really off the table, replaced by war and fear and exile. And into this setting, Isaiah comes with his messages from God, which speak of hope and restoration, of healing. God was going to break into this messed up world again and do something about it. And towards the end of Isaiah's writing, what we now call chapter 61, he brings some words that were not just significant to the people of Israel in the time, but they actually transcend time and are significant also for us today, right here, right now. And this is what he said. He's talking about someone who's going to come into the world and make a difference. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. 
So Isaiah is foretelling this person that's going to come. They're going to be God incarnate, completely full of God. The Spirit of God will be on him. And this person won't have come for judgment or condemnation or more oppression, but for good news, for healing, for freedom and release. So this morning we have a choice. We can talk about judgment, condemnation and oppression or good news, healing, freedom and release. Which one do you prefer? Second one? That's good. Could have been a whole different talk. We're going to talk about good news, healing, freedom and release. So these words of Isaiah, they were so important that they were written down. And back in the day, they didn't have books like we have or even iPads that we've got now. They were written on these big scrolls and then rolled up. So if you kind of went into the synagogue, I guess there would be these big piles of scrolls rolled. And every now and then people would get the scrolls out, unroll them and read the words that were written on them. And if we fast forward... A few hundred years, Luke 4 verse 14, this is what we read, happened. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now listen to this bit. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a moment. Just imagine that you're a Jew and you study your holy writings. You understand one day someone's going to show up at some point and fulfill this prophecy. And you're in the synagogue, you're doing what you always do. But there's been this guy on the scene recently. There's something special about him. You you can't even decide what it is sometimes, but you know there is something. And there's a buzz going round about him. People are seeing him, and when they see him, they're kind of, you know, getting their phones out and getting a selfie. Look who I saw today. It's on Facebook. They're putting a tweet out. was out in the market. Guess who I saw? You know, maybe some Snapchats have gone around. But today, you've checked in at the synagogue, and this man, Jesus, is there. He reads the scriptures, and you realize this is a historic moment. You can tell because they're glued to him. They're fastened on his every word. They're hanging on. You can feel the tension in the room. And he's saying, you know what? This message of good news that you've been waiting for for hundreds of years 
the person that's going to come and bring salvation, it's me. I'm the one right here, right now. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere and seen history being made. Maybe in a good way, maybe sometimes not good history. I remember quite a few years ago now, coming back from school, um, I was the mother with the kids, coming back from the school run and getting back to our house, letting the kids in. And I went into the kitchen to start doing the tea, because that's what you do, isn't it? And the kids ran into the living room to watch the TV, because that's what they did. And this is back in the day, we didn't have 24-7 kids TV. Kids TV started at 25 past three and ended about half five before neighbours ready for the news. So 25 past three, run into the lounge and a few seconds later, my little boy came back into the kitchen and went, there's a problem with the telly. And you think, oh, problem with the telly. What's the problem with the telly? The children's programmes aren't on. I'm like, okay, go and try BBC Two because that does happen sometimes and they just get put on BBC Two. So he toddles off into the, uh, into the lounge again, comes back a few minutes later and says, no, they're not on BBC Two either. He said, it's the same thing on every channel. There's just two pictures of two burning buildings. And of course, that date was the 11th of September 2001. And as I walked into the lounge, I'm sure you remember that day, you see something and you know history is being changed and you're watching it right in front of your eyes. And that was history, obviously, in a, in a bad way, but you knew that the world was going to be different from that day on. And this moment in the synagogue was a moment of history being made, but in a good way. The entrance of Jesus into the world fulfilled the ancient prophecy, but it also changed human history forever. If you ever think about Jesus, he didn't write a book Lots of stuff written about him, but he never did it. He didn't go to college, didn't have a degree. He didn't travel further than 200 miles from where he was born, apparently. 200 miles. You know, I went to, to Ireland on Thursday on a plane. I flew there and I flew back the same day. I don't really know how far that was, to be honest, but it was further in total than 200 miles. I did it in a day, 40 minutes. I was there. Jesus never travelled that far in his entire life. He worked as a carpenter till he was 30, then was an itinerant preacher for three years before he died. He died less than seven miles from where he was born. You could say that was a bit of an obscure life, and yet this obscure life began a history-changing movement that's gained momentum over the years. And they reckon that back in 2010, Almost 30% of people worldwide claimed at least some form of allegiance to Jesus. How would that happen with just some ordinary, obscure guy? Amazing, quite. And you might wonder that, but you know, we know why we believe that this has happened. Because we believe Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that Jesus indeed was fully God, had the spirit of the sovereign Lord on him and had indeed come to change the world. So this message that Jesus comes to in the synagogue that day, he said he was anointed to bring good news. And I want us to think for a moment about those words, good news. That's what the word gospel means. Because as Christians, we can often get into the, 
trap, really, of being more concerned about what we don't agree with than what we do agree with. It's easier to start talking about what we're opposed to instead of painting a picture of where, how we, you know, the positive things. And if we're not careful, if all we ever hear is what we're opposed to, it presents Jesus as a person who came with a load of behavioural modifications for people to battle with in order to know God. But you know, the truth is that Jesus came with arms open and said, come as you are. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not a load of behavioural modifications. And if we as Christians present that, then for people out there who come maybe struggling with addictions or financial problems, gender or sexual identity issues, all the other hot topics of modern society, they could be forgiven for thinking, you know, Jesus isn't interested in me. But he is, because this is good news. It's not a message of behavioural modification. And let me sort of explain it in a couple of ways. A a long time ago now, it is a long time ago, I used to work as a quantity surveyor and I worked in a a surveyor's office and there was myself, there was another guy on team who was a Christian. And what used to happen sometimes is when you were talking, people sometimes would swear. Nothing surprising about that, but they'd usually turn to me and Pete and go, oh, sorry. And you could say, oh, well, isn't that nice that they had a bit of respect for you? And that, you know, but I think, you know what? If the sum total of the impact of my Christian life is that people don't want to swear around me, then I've really missed the plot. And actually, I would much rather be known for positive things that I bring. I would much rather be known for but someone who speaks well who speaks wholeness, who speaks goodness, who speaks truth, who speaks faithfulness and kindness, rather than known for someone who, oh, they don't swear. Not that I do, but you know what I mean. And and I sort of had a picture of this in the week. I was thinking, you know, when you get up in the morning, tomorrow, unless you work funny shifts or you get up really incredibly late, you will wake up in the dark, won't you? Time of year, you get up, alarm goes off, oh, God it's dark yeah what we don't do we do not fumble around in the dark looking for the off switch where's the off switch to turn off the darkness what do we do it's obvious we turn the light on you know light has energy it has movement it has direction it has power it brings something the reason we don't turn off darkness is because darkness isn't a thing Have you ever thought about that? Darkness isn't a thing. Light is a thing. Our Christmas series is all going to be about unstoppable light because light is a thing. Darkness isn't a thing. All darkness is is the absence of light. And as we go out in our everyday lives and we're trying to present the message of the gospel, let's be people who are known for people who bring light, not people who are just kind of trying to turn the darkness off. Do you know what I mean? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah? Let's not be about, oh, I've got to stop, stop the dark things happening. Let's just bring light. Let's not be known for the person who won't ever mix with somebody else because we're frightened that, oh, they might drink too much, or this might happen, that might happen, I might hear this, don't want to hear that. But let's be known for someone who people want to spend time with because we bring light. We, we bring light to the party because then we are presenting this good news of the gospel. So, 
Let's think about what the good news actually is. Let's dig a little deeper. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives and darkness, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So Jesus comes to bring good news for the poor. Now, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word poor. Often we go for the financial aspect, don't we? You know, and we think, well, yes, there are some people in our society who are poor. They live in poverty. Actually, relatively speaking, there probably isn't anyone in the UK who is, you know, there are people in other parts of the world who are more poor than even the poorest in the UK. I heard something on the news this week, I think it was unconfirmed, but in one of the cities where there's been all the bombings, I can't remember if it was Syria or Iraq, but they reckon that the last hospital had been bombed out of, out of existence. And you think, so here's some people now who not only have lost everything, and not only living in a pile of concrete rubble, but they also don't even have access to healthcare anymore. There's no one in the UK who's as poor as that, but poverty is relative. And financial poverty on one side and also spiritual poverty on the other. You know, in terms of finance, a few years ago you could have taken a pound coin to a fuel station and bought for yourself about a litre of fuel. If you take a pound coin to a fuel station now and try and buy a litre of fuel, you won't be able to do it. Because that pound is only worth what it's worth in that day and that time. You know, our five-pound notes that are either a piece of paper or now a piece of plastic, they're just a piece of plastic and a piece of paper. And you know, you can be poor and worry about where your next meal's coming from. You can be rich and worry about losing your wealth. It's the same problem. It's the same worry going on. You're into your shares. The prices go up and the prices come back down. And then there's the whole Brexit thing which we're not going to talk about, but who knows? And you know, you see the, fight, the instability and the insecurity, but Jesus said, I've come to bring good news for the poor. And you see, you can think about poverty as I say in terms of finance, and Jesus can bring security to your life. But we can also think of poverty in terms of poor in spirit, which is a term that Jesus uses in another part of the gospel. He said, blessed or happy are you, if you're poor in spirit, what does poor in spirit mean? It means you come before God and say, God, you know what? I don't have anything to offer you. There is nothing about me that I can offer to God. True humility. But coming with the knowledge that everything you need is found in him. And so if we want to receive this good news, we have to come with this poor in spirit attitude of God. I've got nothing to offer you, but I know that everything I need is found in you. And I present myself before you. That is good news for the poor. You know, we can get caught up, can't we, in our society. We can work every hour that God sends to pay for a lifestyle we want, but then we can't enjoy because we don't have the time. Isaiah sent some more um, good words, wise words, in his book. It says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what doesn't satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. 
You know, I, I did a lot of running a, a while ago and sometimes I'd run on a treadmill and sometimes I'd run outside. And I know which I prefer, I'd always rather run outside. Because you can get on a treadmill and you can run for ages and then you get off and find you've gone absolutely nowhere. But you can go outside and you can run and you can see things and you can meet people. And, and you know, life will try and squash you sometimes into the treadmill. And it's just a treadmill of poverty. Because the pounds you might be earning that day might buy you something it won't buy you tomorrow. Jesus' good news, complete security to the poor. Jesus came to bring healing to the brokenhearted. To bind up or heal the brokenhearted, the bruised, the broken, the destroyed. Anyone who has suffered from an emotional or physical loss. Well, I would say that's probably all of us, yeah? If there's anyone here today who's saying, you know what, I've never suffered a physical or emotional loss, then you still need to listen because the inevitability of life, you will one day. And to heal means to make whole or complete. So instead of being broken-hearted, we can be whole-hearted. You know, we get hurt when we give a bit of ourselves to someone else and they don't take care of it. Maybe you were a child in the playground who enthusiastically joined in with the game, only to be told, you're not in our gang, you're the wrong size, you're the wrong colour, you don't fit in, you're not welcome, you're not clever enough, you're too clever even. And what happens with that child, that little bit of rejection, they've given all of themselves to that game they think, you know what, I ain't giving my whole of myself away again. And they hold a little back. Next time they won't be quite so enthusiastic. They won't give a relationship everything so they can't be hurt the same way again. That's how we are as humans. We get hurt and we become a little harder, a little tougher. And we build walls of protection around our broken hearts. But they not only keep out the bad stuff, they also keep out the good stuff. We don't fully commit to relationships sometimes, to our marriages, to our families and our children because we don't want to run the risk of being hurt. But the good news is there's a relationship we can embark on where you never get hurt. You can invest 100% fully in the sure knowledge this person will never let you down. You can know him, experience his total and unconditional love. Love that brings healing to a broken heart and enables you also to invest in the world around you. Confident in the knowledge that no matter how hurt you can be out there, there's always this friend you can turn to who will never let you down. And that friend and the relationship obviously is Jesus. He is part of this good news. That relationship is available because he brings good news to the broken hearted. Jesus is good news for the poor. He's good news for the brokenhearted. And he can bring freedom for prisoners and liberty to the oppressed. Freedom for prisoners. Well, how many people today are locked up? Clearly not, because you wouldn't be here, would you? None of us are in prison today. And you might think, well, I'm not a captive, so what has this got to do with me? And I looked up the definition of freedom in the Oxford English Dictionary. And the Oxford English Dictionary says this. 
Freedom is the power or right to, to act, speak or think as one wants. You can tell it's Oxford English, can't you, if it's one wants. So freedom is the power to, or right to act, speak or think as you like, if you translate it into language I'd speak. Is that a true definition of freedom? Well, you know, if that's a definition of freedom, I'm not sure freedom is such a great thing. You know, have you ever met someone who seems to have had their tact removed? They just say whatever they want. You know, no offence, but sometimes when people get older, this can happen, I have noticed. Or children. Children don't have it, do they? You know, they've had that kind of removed somewhere. They don't understand that you sort of have to watch what you say sometimes. And Benjamin Franklin said, remember not only to say the right thing in the right place, but it's far more difficult to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. You know, we modify our speech, don't we, in order to make society work. We don't have freedom of speech in that sense because if we all did, oh gosh, it would be chaos. And I know sometimes in different cultures this can be different. Some cultures are much more, say, as it is, than other cultures are. So there might be differences in understanding there. But all of us modify our speech in some way in order to fit into society. We modify our actions to make society work. It's why we drive on the left in the UK. But it's why when you go to France, you don't say, no, I'm sorry, I'm English, I drive on the left. Because it would be chaos. Sometimes we hear stories, don't we, of people who somehow, I don't know how, get on the motorway the wrong way. And there's disastrous consequences. And you do think, how did that happen? But, you know, we have to modify our behaviour in order to make a society work. So we're not free in that sense anyway. If we bring our kids up with complete freedom and the power to do exactly what they want, they don't grow up free, they grow up chaotic. So freedom has been kind of redefined in our day and age to this. The power or right to act, speak or think as one wants as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Which in theory you think, well, that's better, but unfortunately we're not islands. We live and we work in community. If I live as I like and the only person I damage in the process is myself, that is still going to have an impact on those around me who love me and care for me. So if that isn't freedom, what is freedom? You know, the freedom that Jesus Christ brings is not about living exactly how you like. It's about forgiveness, it's about pardon, it's about the cancellation of debt, and it's about the freedom to live in the way that we are designed. You know, Isaiah brought that message from God in the first place because the people were completely unable to live up to God's design. God's designed us to live, you know, in good, in love, in mercy and kindness, gentleness and faithfulness. Imagine living in a world where everyone was gentle and kind and good and loving and faithful. What a transformation planet Earth would be. And this is what the Bible says about our current state. It says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. None of us are able as human beings to live the kind of life we're designed for. We all get it wrong. We all mess up. And in so doing, not only mess up our own lives, but the others around us. But hang on a minute. I said it wasn't about behavioural modification. 
and it isn't. Because if you carry on reading in Romans, it says this, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. You know, we are not just striving to be better, striving to be good, striving to live in the right way. Jesus has prayed the price and in God's eyes we are right before him. The penalty of our mess-ups is everything that's gone wrong in the world, loneliness, evil, war, hate and even death itself. But through relationship with Christ we receive a gift, a gift Not something earned through behaviour modification, but a gift of real life that goes beyond death. Freedom, true freedom. You know, we recently changed our car and for the first time in my life I have a car that takes diesel. Which has really messed up my language because I always say I'm going to the petrol station. And it feels wrong to say I'm going to the petrol station when I'm going to put diesel in the tank. But if anyone ever say I'm going to the diesel station, doesn't sound right, does it? It's messed up my language. And I keep trying to say I'm going for fuel. And one of my big fears when we first got that car was that I would try and make that car do something it wasn't designed to do because I would accidentally put unleaded in it instead of diesel. Fortunately, on the, on the petrol cap... In big letters, it says diesel. So as yet, we've only put diesel in. Hallelujah. But you know, if I tried to put something into that car that made it run on something it wasn't designed to run on, it's not going to be good, is it? It's going to be a disaster. Basically, I'm going to stop. But you know, Jesus brings us freedom to live in the way that we are designed to live. And it does impact our language and it does impact the way that we live and it does impact what we bring to other people. It's freedom from prison and liberty for the oppressed. And Jesus came to recover the sight of the blind. I'm assuming possibly everyone can see today. Maybe not. Some will see better than others. I'm getting to that age where, you know, sometimes you go like that Oh yeah, I can see it. I'm still there. I can still read it, you know. And I wear glasses for driving to make my eyesight better for driving. But we can all see. But you know the Bible says that God has an enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. Sometimes he's called the God of this world. He's not as powerful as God. In fact, he's already defeated. But this is what the Bible says that Satan or the God of this world does. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 it says this. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message of the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the God of this world blinds people, making them unable to see, not in a physical sense, but unable to understand the good news that I'm trying to share with you today. So when you hear that the good news of Jesus is for the poor, the God of the world will tell you life's dangerous, life's insecure, you need to look after yourself first, get as many resources as you can to make sure you are secure in this life. And when the good news of Jesus is healing for the brokenhearted, the God of this world will tell you if you've been hurt, you need to get your own back. You need to build walls of protection around you. You need to become cynical and untrusting. 
When the good news of Jesus says that you need to bring, brings freedom for prisoners and liberty for the oppressed, the God of the world will tell you that life is short. So enjoy it, eat, drink, be merry, be a seeker of as much pleasure as you can because tomorrow it will all be over. The God of this world blinds people to the light of Jesus Christ. He even perpetuates the myth of religion that says that right standing with God can only be earned through efforts in behaviour modification. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to recover the sight of people blinded by the God of this world. And we have this series coming up over Christmas, Unstoppable Light. And we have an opportunity as Christians to bring that light to people around us. We have an opportunity to share that Christmas isn't just what comes after Black Friday. And yes, there's nothing wrong with buying and sharing gifts, but that's not what it's about. It's about the good news. You have the opportunity to bring people to church to hear the message of unstoppable light because it will be preached over the next few weeks. You can know that if you bring your neighbours, they're going to hear some really good stuff about Jesus this Christmas here. And you know that you don't have to make big efforts to turn off the darkness. All you need to do is to bring light. So I challenge you. Let's try and do this. You know, the God of this world may have blinded people, but like I said, he's a defeated foe. We worship someone greater. We worship someone who can remove that darkness from your neighbours, can remove that darkness from your family, can remove that darkness from your friends. If you'll take the light there, that can happen. And finally, Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, when we hear the word a year, we think of something like 2016, which is nearly over. But he's not talking about a single year. He's talking about a period of time, a time when this good news can be spread, a time when God's grace is available, a time when the way to come into relationship with God, a way to live with his design to be healed, to be restored and forgiven. That time is open. And in 2016, we still live in the year of God's favour, which I thought might have got a bigger amen than that. Are the chairs too comfortable? We still live in the year of God's favour. Amen? This means that this blind eye thing can be, can be open. The blinkers can come off for his, Prisoners can be released. The poor can have the good news. It's available now. We haven't missed it. You can receive it today, right here and right now. You know, as the worship team come back, there's some words that I'm hoping will be on the screen from Psalm 25. That's the one. Let's all stand together. And what I'd like us to do These words from the psalm are kind of like a prayer and I would like us to read it together as a prayer. Just at the beginning of this Christmas season and maybe maybe you don't know Jesus today. Maybe you do want a relationship with him. Maybe you recognise that you are poor in spirit. You can pray this prayer. Maybe you are a Christian. Most of us are. And you might think, but I don't feel free. I'm not sure about that. Or I'm not sure about this poor in spirit thing. Or I still feel captive. Whatever it is, use this as a prayer today. Let's say these words together. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth 
and teach me. For you are God my Saviour and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, O Lord, are good. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anxious. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Amen. Thank you, God. Yes, God, we bless you for that. And you know, today, as we're going to sing a final sort of song together, if you've declared that today and you feel, you know what, I really need some help with this. It might be that's the first time and you don't know Jesus. You don't have this relationship. Maybe you do have that relationship with Christ, but you need some prayer. You need some prayer for freedom. You need some prayer for healing. You need some prayer just for security and just a firm knowledge of your relationship with him is secure. As we begin to sing, you come forward and us and the team would just love to pray for you today so that we can all go home going, you know what? This is good news. I am taking away from today good news. Amen.